All right, everybody. Welcome to That Which is Hidden. Uh, I'm Austin. And I'm Winston. We're going to be talking about the history of the occult um, and its influence on society today. So today we're going to be talking about magic with a K. Um, basically, to define things, magic, M-A-G-I-C, uh, we're talking about as illusion. Basically, performance magic, um, somebody on stage like performing a card trick or pretending to saw somebody in half. Uh, and it's you know that it's an optical illusion in some way, that you're being tricked um but you can't see so it appears to be magic what we're talking about today is magic with a an extra k at the end um and this is a term that alistair crowley coined um to talk about manipulating reality basically to differentiate the old uh shamanic uh witchcraft idea of magic from this like uh stage illusion um, I actually have a quote by Crowley about it here that I want to bring up. Uh, in his book, Magic in Theory and Practice, he said, Magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Any act, if in accordance with the will, is an act of magic. So when he, he talks about will here, he talked a lot about the concept of your true will. Like, what is your purpose in life? Why were you put on this earth? Um, what are you supposed to be doing? And he said, basically, our goal as a human being is to discover our true will and make that manifest, like follow that path, whatever that means for us. Um, and I think this ties in a lot with the idea of the secret, you know, the, like the law of attraction. Uh, it's been the, the basis of a lot of like self-help books and sort of pop psychology of the last like 20 years um basically the idea that if you focus on something you will manifest that in your life you will bring that energy uh into your life and manifest it if you focus all of your willpower on one idea i don't think there's enough sense of agency of will in the common dialogue about manifestation what do you mean well, there isn't enough discussion of uh, the the sheer force of concentration necessary to do this. Right. Somebody thinks that you need to put together a vision board, and that's going to just be enough. But what uh, what magic tells us is that we have to do footwork, literal footwork, mm. in order to make these things work. We have to move our bodies. We have to use our voices most importantly. Yeah. Because the piezoelectric effect of the vibration of the voice seems to have some kind of casting effect. Yeah. And that's why if you look back at uh, like the Bible, for example, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was God. This is this this very old idea that words have power. Um, if you think about it, this is what separates us from animals, at least as far as we know, is that we have 
this abstract idea of language, um, which are symbols that represent thought forms, is really what they are. It's it's where uh, we have a representational idea of reality. It's like this matrix in our head that um, whenever we when we see a table, for example, we think the word table like this totally abstract concept that these couple letters thrown together that we've just learned to associate with this idea of something that we eat our food on and you know like that that's crazy if you think about it <laughs> that we have this like this uh it, it it's it's i don't know it's like uh, programming a computer or something we have this this language that um defines our variables and like helps us uh, understand reality it's the same we thing categorize. in programming whenever you uh whenever you enter into a uh control um control structure you need mm -hmm. to define the uh the local and the global scope of variables so within the local scope of a, uh, a function um you would have the variable would mean something different than than what it meant outside of the function Okay, so, then so, there, have, so there are words in there, a sense. Yes, but say They're with like, JavaScript, you arbitrarily define that table equals this object that contains mm -hmm. legs, it contains wood, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, it's like material, wood, length, six feet, legs, right, right. six. So this is, this is like, um, like the, the platonic ideal of a table. Right. We can like, just say that there's a like table. You can, right. you can say, let there be table. Mm -hmm. But you still haven't defined the properties of table. Right. But you see what I'm saying? Uh, the, the difference between the idea of tables, you know, like the, the what we're sitting around a table right now, like uh, this particular dining room table versus the table, like this overarching idea of that encompasses all tableness. You know. Yeah, well, like Crowley's 777, the greatest correspondence table in the history of, you know, gematria. And oh, so magic. you're you're talking about tables in a whole different way. Exactly. Now. With the, a database, which again, language. Yeah, I, <laughs> that semantics. word that word means both things. Yeah, exactly. Ah, you just blew my mind. <laughs> There's a lot of different meanings of table when you whenever you work with data on the back end, you're always operating from what's called the core table, mm -hmm. and then you manipulate the core table in order to create other tables. Right. You're just making tables out of tables. <laughs> tables on tables. We can table this discussion for later, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Um, all right, so so something else I wanted to touch on, uh, since we're talking about words and language being the basis of magic. Um, so in a lot of magical traditions, there's a god who brought language to humans. Um, and the best example I can think of is in Egyptian mythology, the god Thoth, um, or Tahuti, he was called. Uh, it, it looks like Thoth, it's T-H-O-T-H. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, if she breathes, she a thought. Um, that hieroglyph over there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so anyways, um, Thoth, Thoth. So you got me saying thought now. I know. <laughs> so well, the the idea is that uh, language and magic take place in the realm of thought. Um, and so, the magical state is a higher mental state, like 
dreaming, for example. We, we, we all know we have dreams that reflect aspects of our life that we weren't even aware of at the time. They're, they're you know, great psychological tools for us to help like unpack why we are the way we are. Um, and people who are really into the spiritual aspect of dreams say that we can communicate with higher dimensions in a sense. We can, people see their loved ones who have died in dreams. People feel like they reach out to somebody across the world who they haven't talked to in years in dream. Like these, these deep archetypes come up within us and sometimes will stick with us for for years. I mean, there's dreams I had as a kid that I still remember now because they were just so clear. Um, this is the atavistic paradigm. This is the ascension paradigm. Mm-hmm. And the atavism, fundamental to human nature... And is that, that word, let's just define that real quick. Atavism is like going up the ancestral chain in a sense right it feels both it's regressive like, and progressive but, at the same but, time. but just to to like define the term it's basically like you're you're a human uh and if you're ascending this atavistic uh pillar you're you're going back to like earlier states of consciousness you're going back to like what it was like to be a pre-human uh ape uh, what it was like to go back and be like a reptile or uh, a bacteria, you know, like going all the you way can up. Go the... further back. Exactly. I mean, I, this is a good time for me to talk about my strongest DMT experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I this was shortly after PJ killed himself, and mm. I had a friend who shot himself in the head with a shotgun oh, and like God. blew his head to pieces, and it was terrible. So yeah. it was heavily on my mind, and a friend of mine uh, brought me some DMT. I had a really nice bong at the time. Um, and it was a nice straight bong. So I, I packed up this waxy DMT with nothing else in it. I just like hit that straight. And it was a big bowl of it. And um, I remember as I was hitting the bong, I imagined the bong turned into a shotgun. And I was shooting myself in the head. Holy shit. And then I took the biggest rip I've like ever taken in my life. Because I did not give a fuck at that point. I was ready to go wherever it was going to take me. Yeah. Like to this day, I have never been more fearless. And what happened was I last thing I saw was the bong and then pow and a big bright flash of light. And I saw both of my parents faces wow. in perfect detail staring at me. And then the next thing I saw, well, the next thing I felt was that I was sucked backward with a ton of force. And as I was being sucked backwards, I saw everything happening in reverse my whole life. And then that kind of went quickly. And then it was the whole life of everything that had ever lived, everything it had ever eaten. And I heard this tally thing of like numbers, like bling, 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 bling. He ate this many calories. He lived this many years. He drank that much water that day. And then we went all the way back to the big bang. And then I went, Oh fuck. I went too far. Where have I gone? Like everything's gone. And then just when I thought I had really screwed everything up and turn myself into an origami crane i (laughs) the universe happened again and it opened back up and it was a big powerful explosion and then i got to watch um each of the little primordial things happen and as i did it was like watching ever seen fish center no on adult swim it's this thing where they have fish in a tank and then they come up with like an espn style game like the fish (laughs) swims behind the rock he gets two points you know so i saw something like that that was exactly like fish center except every animal every single thing they ate 
every cause they ever created. And what happened was I saw the numbers and then the numbers started having an overarching rhythm where that turned into a countdown of 10, 9, Whoa. 8, <laughs> 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I opened my eyes. Holy and I shit. felt like a cooked goose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like I had just stepped out of the oven golden and cr- and crispy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even imagine. Great trip. There was zero encounter with entities. Yeah, that, it, that's not, that sounds like a very Buddhist trip. It's like I smoked enough experiencing everything to get past the is. archons. I smoked enough to get past the forces that like to stand in front of the light and say, we are the light. Right. The imposter, what they call the lion spirits. So, yeah. So I want to talk about the archons. Uh, So the archons were this idea uh, is like an ancient Greek idea of basically uh, the forces that guard the gates of reality. And they're presented as like not being very friendly to humans they sort of feed on us they're they these are the forces that are trying to crush us down and keep us from achieving our true potential and becoming one with the universe like these are uh when people talk about like elder gods like demons from outer space you know like these are those forces that are totally alien and terrifying to us and they sort of feed on us they treat us as like gas pumps in a way it's 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 not necessarily malicious it can just be kind of tricky they but they're not malicious toward us because we're just food right and what they really are malicious toward is is our not our animal nature or our emotion they like from what i've heard they it's sort of they're feeding off of our emotional states and and the Honestly, they, they do like to keep us kind of scared and things because they feed off of like fear and anger and these negative emotions. Probably positive ones, too. I don't know how you want to look at that. Well, not to get too theological, but I think this is the origin of the warning against false idols. Mm. Um, it's not so much about graven images, in my opinion, as it is about these interlopers in the relationship between the human and its own divine nature. Well, so, okay, so that brings us fully around to the concept of the gods, um, if we, if we look at the archons maybe as being like, uh, false gods, like you said, like the, these are things that, uh, will try to trick humans into worshiping them, making sacrifices to them, doing terrible things for them. Um, uh, the, so taking a step back then the, the whole idea of the gods was traditionally, um, again, these are beings that live in the realm of thoughts and when we talk about higher dimensional beings uh those higher dimensions are mental states and so back in the day i feel like people used to say more like oh you know i got shot with cupid's arrow i fell in love i i was blessed by aphrodite when i saw this beautiful woman i was uh overcome you know Ares rode me like a horse like the the war god pulsed through my veins when I got angry like these are emotional states that people were ascribing to these higher powers that were moving around in the mental space in the collective unconscious Uh, these are archetypes that appear in every human um, and they're from deep in our like we were talking about earlier that atavism that that riding up the ancestral chain a lot of the gods in 
older religions, you know, if you look at Egypt, um, uh, the Hindu pantheon, all around the world, there are gods with animal heads uh, because humans have always known we come from the animals. They are our ancestors. And so they have the ability to grant us these powers and teach us things about the world. I think the human body considers regression toward naturalistic states a form of atavism, while mm. the human mind considers progression into yet undiscovered states as a form of atavism. Mm. I think they, they are, in a way, we're being pulled in opposite directions by our two fundamental natures. And we're trying to progress and regress. Like we're trying to, on some level, we're trying to become one with everything again but the whole human spirit has been like separating ourselves from that and cutting ourselves off uh and that's why that's why humans are this weird like middle children of the universe i feel of of at least of everything that we know and that we've experienced so far uh as humanity we're we're weirdly cut off from the rest of nature but it's not like intrinsic to us i don't think it, it's something that we've learned over the years humans have shut ourselves off from that on purpose to build this other like uh what's the word like um like a or it's it's like our own little reality we're also oddly separated from god the same way that we are from nature exactly um, well i think it's the the same thing like when people well, well we have these two polarities one of them being the the natural and the other being the, the supernatural and they're pulling us but what are we we're like a string on a guitar. Mm. The harder we get pulled until we break, the harder we get pulled, the more frequency we put out when struck. So you're talking about, um, th this is a great concept too that I, I've always enjoyed. One of, one of the big concepts in the occult is the idea of polarity, that there is this yin and yang, you know, is the classic like black and white sort of back and forth. Uh, with reality and what you're talking about the the natural world versus the quote supernatural world um when people talk about mother nature and father god right that the the earth is this uh dark feminine uh warm receptive darkness that like we are born out of and then uh god or uh, the source the light whatever you want to call it is this uh, in the heavens, the opposite, you know, from below us to above us, uh, that there's this this fatherly presence that fills us, and um, and so, but I, I think the the thing that's lost in a lot of modern religions, the the Abrahamic religions, basically cut out the Mother Earth part, is the idea, right? And they just started worshiping the Father God, and sort of took that divine feminine element out of it um which is part of the the great failure of modern spirituality to actually have communion with right. a higher power i think the higher you go the higher you try to rise and the further you try to dig if you can do both and be well, like, you end up at the same place you end up at the same place you, digging a hole to china right. or or trying to go out to the moon only to circle around the earth right and so so the one of the main occult principles is this idea of that which is above is like that which is below that which is below is like that which is above 
people talk about the right hand path, which is like the, the path of the monk and the ascetic and the priest. It's like making yourself more pure by meditating and withdrawing from worldly pleasures to become one with that overarching uh, oneness versus the left hand path, um, which is more embraced by people who call themselves Satanists, um, Luciferians. It's this idea that by uh, indulging yourself in the pleasures of the flesh um, in certain ways through drugs, uh, ritual, sex magic, um, and other forms of like divine intoxication that you are uh, separating yourself from that source to your ego becomes its own powerful entity. Uh, but I think ultimately, even that path, they, they both lead around to the same place. You're sort of ending up at this same space of Buddhist uh, oneness with everything and also nothingness. There's like an emptiness behind it. No matter how far you go, how far the pendulum swings up or down or left or right, you're ultimately, you're realizing that you're on this dualistic back and forth and that outside of that there is this nothingness that everything is born from and so it's so you you become aware of of zero of the concept of nothing and then there's the one thing that created the two things and that all of matter and reality is from that so when you're you're talking about that atavistic regression back to the big bang and that's what we're seeing is the 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 big bang is the one right it's the the spark the in the beginning there was the word you know let there be light and everything explodes sorry i'm hitting my microphone here that, but that... but the zero that the nothingness that everything comes from that's i think the key to magic is getting to that void state where you are beyond duality and everything is not only one thing everything becomes no thing for a second and then flashes back on here's something interesting that I became aware of um, once once I was introduced to the concept and it changed the way I looked at all arithmetic, all numeral systems. The array of number characters from zero to nine is actually 10 characters. Wait, what do you, what do you mean? Zero, uh, oh, one, two, right, three, right, four, right, five, six, seven, right. eight, nine, right? right? So to mistake zero for zero, is what we call the fence post error because you have a fence right and it's got two uh let's say it's got four four uh sections to it mm -hmm. how many posts are on the fence five. Oh. Okay. so the fence post error is to assume that there are four posts because there's four four numbers right but there's actually 10 posts there's the zero space exactly and the zero zero is a number right in the sense that uh that zero can actually be they can prove that zero equals one using basic arithmetic right it's it's a false proof but it's a semantic proof right and if the semantic so I, that's how that's how the universe works it's a laissez-faire like, economy of right. variables it, well so the so the, the whole universe the whole joke is that zero equals one yes because like why does anything exist at all why are we here what are we doing who made if, that jump exactly and it's like the it sort of exists because it had to like or maybe it exists because we d 
determined that it has to. Exactly. That well that we are the conscious observers of the universe. It's like the universe evolved so that we could evolve and have this weird external perception of the universe. It's it's like when people talk about quantum mechanics, this uh, state where observing things changes them. Well, we grant ourselves a lot more power in the universe than we actually have. Um, going back to the table, mm -hmm. uh, th there was an observation done with uh, quantum computing where they wanted to use the solid state of an iron bar to try to see if the iron bar itself, independent of any other electrical energy or anything would be able to uh, make decisions. So <laughs> what they did was they set the iron bar up and they monitored very, very, very tiny, like nano, uh, it was particle fluctuations yeah. in a slight direction of left or right toward whichever answer. So they had two answers on either side. Okay, and the okay. bar, so it's like answering questions. And it would instantly even slightly before the question was asked, fluctuate toward the direction of the correct toward answer. The correct one. That's crazy. What they determined from that is that objects, any physical matter, has the same exact same capacity for reason and for observation that we do. Meaning that when we leave the room, the table observes the couch, and the couch observes oh. the table back, and everything else is nice and safe because so objects are tree, also... If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, the it still tree still falls. It yeah, still it falls. Still <laughs> the other trees hear it. It still makes a sound, yeah. Exactly. And th you know, those trees are clearly alive, and right. this wood right. clearly was alive at one point. The wood from the table. Yeah. The iron bar was clearly part of a living planet, Right. and we are largely composed of iron. Um, there's a lot of things about human beings that I, I think maybe consciousness itself could be a ghost in a machine that we don't really understand. Yeah. Like, are we our hardware or our software? Or our wetware. Right. So what's, so define wetware for me. And well, software would be, software. so software would be our, um, this is how I would define it anyway. Mm -hmm. Our software would be the electrical impulses in our brains and the, uh, way that our brain seems to form patterns with it um the soft uh, the hardware would be the skull the bones the teeth um the nails and possibly uh possibly the organs but i would consider the wetware to be our endocrine system uh it would be our uh, nervous, well, our nervous system itself. Okay. With all the cerebrospinal yeah, yeah. fluid and all those things. So it's it's sort of the combination in a way. It's like our, you're you're saying, just, again, I don't want to get too abstract, but it's like um, we're talking about where consciousness lives. Like, is does consciousness, uh, like supersede our physical existence because some people again going back to the, this is sort of the magical concept that um in the beginning was the word like thought comes first and that we have evolved from pure consciousness into like physical beings in a way um and i i sort of think this more but the common scientific thought now is that consciousness arises uh, like you said, as this sort of ghost in the machine from um, like a combination of chemicals and 
things in our brain, electrical activity that just creates this force that we understand as consciousness. And, and scientists still don't have a consensus on this. It, there, there's the, the hard problem of consciousness, it's called. is like, you know, um, again, I, I don't want to get too deep into that right now. but I think once our tools start to be able to measure whatever these, uh, the, these energy levels are, um, I think that the spiritual world is a lot like the 5G network in order in <laughs> that we, we have this subtle energy. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, the subtle energy <laughs> permeates everything. And yeah. what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an information network, a knowledge sharing network mm -hmm. where uh, knowledge is available to anybody at any time, any place. Right. So the, right. So, and I, I see what you're saying that data, the internet, 5G, all of this is like our physical artificial abstraction of something that already exists. Like we are already tapped into this massive net, uh, this worldwide web of uh, information um, that is like the, the collective unconscious and like this, this higher consciousness that we tap into in deep meditation um, in are the times in our life that we feel like we're part of something bigger that, that we're tapping into this uh and and if you look at the internet it's like our little model of that i uh, think the human race is like a child that grew up without their father and then <laughs> wanted to be like him you know spent spent their well, childhood trying things to walk off around from our mother yeah too. like he, humans have been trying to n enslave planet earth and take advantage of it for so long and we forget that this is where we came from this is our home dad went out for a pack of smokes <laughs> <laughs> no you know the thing is i th i feel like he's pro i mean you know this is about magic and this isn't about theology but i think in high magic the interfacing with uh what people call god is uh is a very important element yes at some point we will do an episode on john d and edward kelly and Enochia. Oh, yeah, we should do that next. That, would, that be would be a good one to do next. Um, but, okay, so jumping off what you're saying, I want to sort of close things out here by bringing it full circle and talking about, again, magic with a K. Um, you're talking about ritual and ceremonial magic. Um, this is basically a tool that the magician, uh, the sorcerer, whatever you want to call it, the witch uses to achieve a mental flow state. Um, people who play music or make art or are um, into sports will understand the idea of a flow state. You get in this state where you are, again, you feel like you're one with your surroundings. You're just, you're not thinking about doing things. You're just doing it. You're just being um and you hit every home run and you nail your guitar solo and um you finish your painting like this is that state where all of those creative energies are totally focused and lined up and the, and going back to crowley this is what he would have said is your true will when you're following your true will it's like everything just opens up in front of you because you're going with the flow literally of the universe um, and I guess the, the final point we want to make is talking about whether these things are real quote, or are they mental states? Like, 
for the the skeptics out there, you know, if you're still listening after all of this, um, we want to I, I want to bring it back to Crowley one more time with uh, his another quote from that same book, Magic in Theory and Practice. He says, "In this book, it is spoken of the Sephiroth and the paths of spirits and conjurations of gods, spheres, planes, and many other things which may or may not exist. It is immaterial whether these exist or not." By doing certain things, certain results will follow. Students are most earnestly warned against attributing objective reality or philosophic validity to any of them. And so when we're performing magical rituals to try to bend reality around us to our will, uh, in a broader sense, what we're really doing is we're, we're trying to tap ourselves into the bigger flow of the universe. We're doing, you know, when... Uh, you wave your hands around like a pentagram and you're performing a ritual for protection. You're really sort of banishing all of the uh, negative energy from your mind and focusing on, okay, what's really going on. It's a meditative practice, just like, um, I mean, Buddhist and Hindu meditation has always been like you're stilling your mind, focusing it. Um, and just becoming aware of what's really going on, your real surroundings, how your body really feels inside, and observing your thoughts rolling by. Like, that is the most important magical practice, I think, is becoming aware that your thoughts don't control you. They just come and go. It flows like a river, and you need to sort of become aware of that process. Somehow magic is equally about a more honest view of the self. And the Dalai Lama, I think it was, uh, it may have, it, it may have actually been the uh, Buddhist practitioner at Drepung Losling here in Atlanta, who said to, uh, said to his class, if you're wondering about existence and non-existence, how do you know that you exist? And if you know that you exist, where in your body would you say you exist? Where do you feel that existence coming from? And he just left that an open-ended question for us to contemplate. Right. Because we are what's creating the reality around us. Going back to that idea of the observer. Like, if we observe reality in a certain way, it will behave in a certain way. And I think that's... Uh, belief is sort of the ultimate tool. If you can change your belief what what you truly believe about the world then you can change anything which I think people observer get stuck in believing one certain thing which observer are we talking about though because we have to get out of the way austin and winston have to get out of the way for the actual observer to do the observing right so there's a, a third mind that arises when two objects are interacting when one thing is observing another thing there is you're saying that there's something else there there's the, a third presence yes the magical workers will with a capital w is a force that is higher than their physical life and comes from before their physical life but has followed them through all of their sojourns into the physical plane hmm. that higher self is where we get our power and if we try to do it too much ourselves then often what we will experience is that our 
uh, our own powers don't suffice, mm -hmm. especially against the raw powers of the universe. We, every single strong magical worker who's ever been known has been known for having an energy outside of themselves that they call in. The, the body of light, right? Like the, they, they talk about this idea as like the, the subtle body. It's like as, as you work on certain magical paths, you are building this like astral projection body of yourself that um, is your, or, or maybe just coming more into contact with it. That's your, your true will, your true higher self. Your causal body as well. Mm. You build a body of causes that basically becomes like your karmic vehicle. And I would almost call it your butterfly effect body. The, the little ripple effects that go out through every breath every thing you touch and even everything you observe um, the mutual observation of reality the way that reality observes you um, there will be another episode where we talk about the potential to be blackmailed by a super intelligence <laughs> yeah we'll get more into that soon the Archons. And the Archons. Yeah, I guess we touched on that a little bit. Anyways, uh, we're going to wrap it up for now. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will be back with That Which Is Hidden. <laughs>